Hey, how you doing? Brian Kane, mental performance coach here and the host of the Mental Performance Mastery Podcast. Today, my guest is Lance Berkman. He's a six-time Major League Baseball All-Star, a World Series champion, was named Major League Baseball Comeback Player of the Year, and Forbes magazine listed him as one of the 30th most gracious celebrities during his career. Lance has also been a high school baseball coach, a Division III college coach. He's currently the head baseball coach at Houston Christian University. Lance is arguably one of the greatest switch hitters in the game of baseball. More importantly, he's one of the greatest human beings that's ever played the game. And in this podcast, we dive into creating confidence, consistency, and culture, both as a player, but also as a coach. Lance brings a unique perspective, having succeeded as both a player and a coach. And he talks about the biggest differences between coaching at the high school and the college level and explains why as a psychologist you're more of a or as a professional coach you're more of a psychologist than a coach he talks about developing a mental game toolbox and what tools he used as a player and what tools he sees his players using on a daily basis discusses what separates the good from the great and talks about how to silence the noise and focus on what's important in that moment the importance of focusing on the controllables and then he gets baseball specific talks about the three b's of hitting and how to overcome failure through breathing focusing on the ball and going back through the middle as well as his seven part hitting approach now i've been a part of mental game of baseball since 2001 so 22 years at the time of this recording, and I've never heard a coach better explain hitting approaches than Lance does. Well, he was one of the greatest hitters ever, so maybe that would make sense. But a lot of times people say, hey, you got to have a plan and approach. Well, what does that mean? Lance dives into his seven hitting approaches. We then get into talking about culture and the culture that he's created at Houston Christian around work aggression, responsibility, and service. This is a call that I think you're going to love and linked below in the show notes and resources. You can see the Houston Christian baseball culture. You can see Lance's seven hitting approaches. You can get a link uh, to the heroic book summaries that we discussed during their win the winter program. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Dominate the day. Hey, how's it going? Brian Kane, host of this group coaching program brought to you by Fundraising University and want to say welcome to everybody on today's group coaching call. And what I love about Fundraising University and their CEO, Mike Bahoon, is their commitment to being a transformational organization that truly cares about the success of the coaches and athletes that they work with. They're also unquestionably the best fundraising program in all of athletics. I've personally executed a Fundraising University Fund You Now at Eastmont High School in Wenatchee, Washington, where we raised over $30,000 in just one hour. They truly raised the most amount of money in the least amount of time with the least amount of interference. So if you're interested in learning more uh, about a fundraising university fundraiser and the one that I personally have executed, feel free to reach out to me anytime by email. I'll put that in there as Brian at briancane.com. And if you're interested more in just learning about Fundraising University overall, uh, I'm going to get you connected with Zach Sorensen. Zach's also the mental performance coach for the Atlanta Braves. And his email is zsorensen at fundraisingu.net. So reach out to myself or Zach uh, to learn more about Fundraising University. Again, to join us on the call today, if you would, please go to the chat and post your name, where you're from, and what sports you're coaching or what business you're involved with if you're coming with us uh, from that sector. Because tonight, we're talking about confidence, consistency, and culture with a six-time Major League Baseball All-Star and Division I College Baseball head coach. Lance Berkman. As we know, uh, Lance was also a World Series champion. He was named Major League Baseball Comeback Player of the Year. He's the current head baseball coach at Houston Christian University. Lance, fired up to have you join us, man. Thanks for being here. Well, thanks for having me, Brian. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for being here. So, Lance, I mean, if we can kind of go, you know, go go back to sort of like maybe a quick journey through your story. Obviously, growing up, getting into the game, you're you're going through your career at Rice, where you ran into a great legend in in, in Wayne Graham, and then kind of your career, and then you retired from playing baseball and got into coaching. Could you kind of take us through sort of like a fast track into that career, so that all of our listeners kind of know to how where you where how you got to where you are today? Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up in Central Texas, mainly in the Austin area, um, and <clears throat> went to Rice University, which is in Houston, and I guess my my first semester there would have been 1994, the fall of 94, and I pretty much have been in Houston ever since, because 
uh, got drafted by the Astros and um, played a couple of years in the minor leagues, but uh, spent 12 years with a big league club um, in Houston and then got traded to the Yankees uh, about three quarters away or halfway through the 2010 season and spent, I call it a bad vacation, but, but spent about three months there uh, in New York with the Yankees. Uh, signed as a free agent with the Cardinals, played two years there. 2011, we won the World Series in St. Louis. It was a great year, um, you know, just personally and, and professionally. And, uh, and then finished up in 2013 with the Texas Rangers um, and knew, knew that I wanted to coach, really have always had a heart for the college level. Uh, I, I feel like that that's the most fun that you can have is playing in college. Um, you know, baseball at, at the professional level is – I mean, there's a lot of great things about it, but it's a job. But in college, you're really playing, you know, for the joy of just playing baseball. And and so wanted to um, be back in that environment, wanted to be in a position where I could impact uh, the lives of young men, which I feel like at that at that stage in their development, you know, it's the first time really out of their parents' house. Um, it, it's, you know, my college coach had a big impact on me. Uh, and I wanted to just be able to be in a position to have a big impact on the lives of of young men that are, you know, 18 to 22, 23 years old, uh, because I know how important that is and developmentally how, you know, if you can instill in those guys the right kind of uh, mentality, uh, it will carry over for the rest of their lives. So that's sort of a, a brief snapshot. I've spent, I, I guess I should say after after I quit playing in 2013, I coached for four years at the high school level. Um, then coached for one year at a division three school here in Houston. And then the last, well, last year, and then this first part of this year, I've been coaching for Houston Christian, formerly Houston Baptist university. So we just changed our name and we're about seven games into our season this year. So, you know, I didn't, I didn't put it together until right now when you mentioned that it was the 2011 Cardinals that you were on that won the world series. Then our last guest we had on here two weeks ago was Matt Carpenter, who was actually a teammate of yours on that team. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. Carp, great guy. So interesting. We'll, we'll dive a little more kind of into, uh, you know, into your mental game as a player, but let's talk about what, you know, this conversation will free flow in front of our guests here. Please feel free to put any questions you have for Lance at any time inside of the chat. We'll make sure we get those asked, you know, Lance, you get done playing in a, in a storied major league baseball career, you know, and you go and coach four years of high school. Why did you want to go back and coach high school after you probably could go have coached in professional baseball and been a major league manager by now, if you wanted to, why did you want to go back to high school? I just, I love the amateur level. Um, so there's a couple of reasons, you know, I, I was, I, I wanted to try to build a coaching resume that would give me an opportunity to, to coach in college. Cause I knew that, that was kind of my, you know, that was my goal all along was to be a division one college head coach. Um, and so the, it, you know, having a family at that time, you know, I have four daughters, my, all four girls were still in the house. Uh, since that time, my oldest, I have two of them that are out of the house. And we still have two in the house. So I didn't want to, you know, I wasn't really willing to uproot my family and move anywhere in the country. Didn't have to do that and, and didn't think that was going to be the best thing for them. So um, there's three Division One schools here in town, Rice, University of Houston and Houston Christian. I guess Texas Southern is also Division One. I forget about them. But uh, the bottom line is the, the college coaching opportunities in Houston are, are somewhat limited um, and I, but I, but I wanted to be involved in something that I thought was going to help me build a coaching resume that would give me a, a chance if one of those jobs should open up down the road. Um, so that was really the main reason I wanted to, to coach in high school. And it was great. It, uh, worked out that my, the high school where my kids go to school, uh, that job opened up and, uh, thought it would be a great fit to be up there, be involved and be coaching some of the young men. Of course, having daughters, you're always concerned about <laughs> the young men that are interested in them. So being a coach up at the school is a real great way to to know who's who and and really to kind of, you know, maybe spread a little intimidation where uh, <laughs> it helps with the with that process. So uh, those are all reasons why I wanted to coach uh, in high school. So, you know, we have a lot of high school coaches that are tuned in right now, listening to this and a lot they'll listen to, to the recording through our group coaching program. And, you know, you have, you've, you've, you've succeeded world series champion, six time all-star, you know, at the major league level, you're now a head coach at division one college baseball. What's like, and I know a lot of high school coaches are, are thinking that they want to go be college coaches, right? They want to be a college coach. 
And what would you say are some of like the differences between, I mean, obviously maybe outside of budgets and outside of facilities and recruiting, but just from coaching, like at the core of what coaching is at the high school level versus the college level versus the major league level. Like, what would you say the big difference is for you as a coach having been at those different levels? Yeah, I mean, I would say, and I've told guys this before, if you can coach at the high school level, like, you know, God bless you. I mean, that's the hardest level to coach you're literally having to coach every single part of the game. Um, the kids, they not only do they not know anything, but their brains aren't fully developed. I mean, so you're dealing with a lot of immaturity on top of a lot of uh, just having to explain li literally every single thing about the game. If you can coach in high school, you can coach at any level. To me, the easiest level to coach is at the major league level. I mean, those guys, um, they know what they're doing. You don't have to coach them. This is where you're supposed to be on this particular play. You know, being being a coach at the major league level is more about being a psychologist and being a sounding board and just being a, a cheerleader for guys. Uh, the thing about the college level that I like is it combines some of the development that you get at the high school level, but you get a more serious player. Uh, a lot of guys in high school are out there because their buddies are out there or because their parents are making them play after school, those kinds of things. But at, at the college level, everybody that you're you know, of course, you're recruiting them, so you have a, a lot more control of your roster. Um, you know, it just is a more serious, focused athlete that that is there because they want to learn, um, and that, and that's the reason why I think it's so great is because you you're getting a skilled player and you're getting them at a time when they're very interested in learning, and so it's a great combination. It's a lot of fun, and you know, I I enjoyed the high school level, and there's certainly some things that are great about it. You know, the time commitment is as much. You have, you don't have to recruit the things that you mentioned, Brian. But you know, for me, this is the th this is kind of the sweet spot uh, where you have skilled players that can do the things that you're asking them to do, and and a and a focused player, and it's good quality baseball. It's a lot of fun. So um, you know, I, to me, it's my favorite level, and that's kind of some of the differences. You know, it's funny how you mentioned how when you're coaching at the major league level you're really a psychologist, right? Because the guys know what to do. And you played at the major league level for a long time. Let's talk about how does the mental game change for a player, let's say from like the high school level to D1 H Houston Christian to like the major league level. How does the mental game change as you climb that ladder of success? Like for you in high school, maybe to Rice to the big leagues or for now on the coaching side? Yeah, it's like a, I think, you know, you, uh, one of the things that I really, read about you know when, when we were first starting to work together you know you 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 say that it's a toolbox like you have your mental toolbox and I think as you grow and mature you you add pieces to that toolbox so you know there's things that make sense to you when you're in high school and there's things that that when you get to college you might learn and then as you go along you know you're you're learning as you go and that's why you know guys don't really reach their full baseball potential in my opinion and 30 years old is like the peak like that's when it all comes together where you have enough experience where you have some of the all you know your middle toolbox is full you're still physically gifted enough it's like it's like that's right when to me like that's the peak of the prime and I would say you know as you as you go you have to get better at all of the mental things because you know when you're younger you can out physical people like if you're a good athlete a lot of times you just you survive on the fact that you're the best athlete on the field and you know you don't really have to employ some of the the techniques that that you learn later on but as you get to where hey everybody else is pretty good too and you start to hit that ceiling of where you know physically guys are just as talented as I am I don't mean me personally I'm just saying like talking in general terms you know when you get to that point where the physical talent is similar the great separator is how, how you control your mind and emotions. And so, you know, to be a, a, a really good professional athlete, you have to be good at those things because that's what separates the guys from, you know, the, the good players from say the all-stars from the hall of famers that just is, that's where the separation comes in. Yeah. And I think even at the high school level for our coaches here, right. Some of the feedback that I get from the high school coaches that I work with is that at some point during your season, the talent becomes about the same, right? So like if you get into a, if you get into a state playoff and you're in a, or you're in your conference, your, your league or conference championship, 
the talent is usually the same. Now, one of those teams might have a pitcher who's going to LSU or going to Texas A&M or wherever, right, that are going to your place who's a Division One arm that's a 95-mile-an-hour arm that's a draft guy, like, okay, good luck, right? But if you're in Texas, both of those teams are going to have one of those guys usually, right? If you're in Nevada, Reno High School is going to have one of those guys, and so is Bishop Gorman, right? So they're going to go head-to-head where the talent is going to be about the same, and then at that level, the mental game kicks in. So when we talk about what is the mental game, Lance, for you, and maybe not, you know, not just maybe in baseball, uh, but that's the background that you came from. But I want for our coaches who are here, because they're not all baseball coaches to understand that, like, uh, the mental game of baseball applies likely as it does the mental game of golf, just as it does to the mental game of football, as it does to anything that we're doing. The mental game is the mental game. It's all relative. So what is the mental game to you, Lance, when we talk about like the mental game? What is that? I think, I mean, for me, it's, it boils down to controlling your focus and, and, you know, mental toughness to me is just being able to focus through, you know, maybe you know, some, some external or internal variable that is trying to pull you out of what I consider to be a competitive mindset. And so, you know, we talk about it with our team. It's like in baseball, it could be the weather, it could be the umpire's bad call, it could be an error that somebody made, you know, it could be the fact that I hadn't got a hit in 10 at bats, you know, it could be you know, something that's happening off the field that's, that's drawing my attention away from the task at hand. So I, I just feel like in, in sports, and, and I think it, you could extrapolate it out, obviously, to other fields as well. It's what do you, wh- where is your focus and learning how to channel your focus and find focus on the things that are really important, the things that really make the difference between winning and losing or between closing a deal and not, you know, and, and learning how to kind of block out some of the ancillary noise and, and hone in on what's important. And I think, you know, as a coach, I found that with the, the technology and sort of, you know, I, it's, it's crazy because I watch these guys, I, we, we take a lot of bus trips, obviously, when, you know, when you're in college, you're on a bus a lot. And the bathroom's towards the back of the bus. And unfortunately, I have a small bladder, so I have to make frequent trips on these, you know, I might, might need to go get my prostate checked, but you know, that's another, another topic. But as I'm walking back, you know, to my seat, because I sit at the very front of the bus, these kids are all on their phone. And the way that they use their phone is crazy because it's like, it's like, I mean, they're almost as fast as you can register what you're looking at. They've scrolled to the next, whatever it is. And I find that I I think it's that that could be one cause of it. I don't want to sound like the old fogey, but just an inability to focus for any length of time on one, t- on one task. And, and it shows up sort of in the game because they're, they just, they have a hard time really locking in for three hours that, that it takes to play a baseball game. So just that, I, I know this is a long winded answer, but I think if you were, if you were to boil it down, it's like, how, where, where is my focus? How fine and sharp is my focus? What am I focused on? The mental game is all about learning how to focus and learning how to perform and, and eliminate distractions. You know, it was interesting yesterday, Lance, the guy who, who won on the PGA Tour, Chris Kirk. And one of the things he mentioned afterwards, right, this guy had not won a PGA Tour event in seven years in nine months. And he wins yesterday. And he talks about, hey, when you're out there, you know, you can't control the outcome. You just focus on executing shots. And it's kind of a lot like pitching, right? You focus on executing a pitch or as a hitter, you focus on trying to execute your game plan. Uh, talk about the, the focus on controllables and how important that is, not just in baseball, but in life. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's knowing what to focus on is, is kind of what I was alluding to is yeah. the things that you can't control are just distractions. And so, you know, when I had the, the, going back to that world series that we talked about in 2011, that one with the Cardinals, there was one particular at bat where we were, we were losing by a run. There was a man on second base. There was two outs and I was hitting. And I mean, you know, of course it's one of those deals where everybody thinks that they want to be in that situation when they're a kid, you know, you're dreaming in the backyard, like bottom of the ninth, two out. like if you ever actually were in that situation, you would never dream about it. Like it's a nightmare. Like you wouldn't wish it on anybody. Cause it's just, you know, there's 50,000 people in a whole city you feel like are, are just kind of riding on your back and, and, and the, the whole outcome of everything, it depends on your performance. And so anyway, make a long story short, I had a really good at bat and got a base hit and tied the game. We ended up winning that game and going on to win the World Series. And so after the, after the game was over with, 
the one of the reporters said, hey, what were you thinking about when you were in the box during that, that bat? And my answer was nothing. I mean, I was thinking about nothing, like just mind was clean and my whole focus was on seeing the baseball because that was my job and really the only thing I could control. There was couldn't control what pitch he was going to throw, couldn't control what the umpire was going to call, couldn't control much of anything except for I have to get a great look at this baseball and just trust that my training is going to take over and and you know and that's and that's essentially what happened and I'd like to think that even if I'd made an out that I would be happy with that outcome um course I wouldn't have been nearly as happy because we wouldn't have won, won the world series but point being my focus was on the only thing that I had control over and that is hey get a great look at the ball that's my job and I can't worry about striking out I can't worry about winning and losing the game can't worry about any kind of outcome related thing it's all about hey what am I doing right this second mm-hmm. to give myself the best chance to win and I think that applies to anything not just baseball or hitting right is what am I focused on in this moment right now to give me the best chance to get the outcome that I'm looking for, whether that be getting a sale, whether that be getting a base hit, whether that be getting an A on the test, how do I stay in that present moment? So focused, right? Uh, One of the questions that that just came in that is timely about, you know, what, what, what we're talking about is, you know, when you said I wasn't thinking about anything, I was trying to see and get a good ball to hit. So when you have players that you're coaching now, and maybe you find them thinking too much because it's one of the what I did, one of the calls I had with one of the pro guys I'm working with right before this. He's like, Kaner, I, I, I'm in major league spring training. I'm getting that when I get out there, I feel like I'm thinking too much. What do you do to help the guy who's thinking too much during during competition now as a coach? Well, I have I just have a little uh, we call I call it the three B's of hitting, which is ba- the first B is breathe. So you got to get a hold of yourself, you know, like because what when the mind starts racing. You know, it, it's worried about things that have happened in the past or things that may happen in the future. And you're not mindful. You're not where your feet are. I mean, there's all kinds of ways to say it. And I've heard you describe it several different ways, but you got to get a hold of yourself. And and that's the first step. So I tell them, hey, breathe. And then what what is the task? Like, what are we trying to do here? And for a hitter, it's to, it's seeing the ball like this is what I have to do. I mean, if I'm going to be successful, I've got to get a great look at the ball. And then what am I trying to do? And my, you know, I'm trying to hit it back up the middle. So the three B's are breathe, ball, back up the middle. So we, I've kind of developed that little acronym um, and help them remember so that when the competition speeds up, um, they, they have something that they can go to that kind of helps them calm their mind a little bit. And, and, you know, I think that's like, I've heard you say this many times, um, you know, what you have is a process or, or, and it's, it's a, it's a thing that you can actually do. It's not just some, it's just not a willy nilly set of coach speak sayings. It's an actual process that you work through and you go through. And that's what, you know, that's what I love about what you do is it, it sort of gives parameters and gives practical steps that people can do so that they can improve in, in this area that to me is the great separator. So for us, it's just, you know, just keeping it simple, breathe ball back through the middle. And, you know, you could develop, you know, your own way of doing it for any, any other profession. So I just, I think having a process that you can go to in those pressure situations uh, is, is a real key to success. Man, if you could just take the last 90 seconds of what Lance Berkman just said, everybody as a coach and take that and apply it, there is a ton of goodness there, right? So one he's saying is like the three B's of hitting breathe ball back through the middle. What that does Lance, right? Is that simplifies the task. I'm hitting in front of 50,000 people. I'm nervous. I'm going in. I have the biggest sale potential of my life as a business owner, right? What is it? I have the, I have a state championship. How do I simplify? I have to have something to go to, to allow me to, to kind of be the, to have that missing link. That missing link is to go from not thinking. I have to direct my thinking to something, right? And you're saying breathe ball back through the middle. Uh, that concept of simplifying the complex, is there anything else that you do to help your players just simplify the game? Like talking about going one pitch at a time or, um, you know, evaluating on the controllables of an execution of a pitch or quality at bats, anything else that you do to kind of help them simplify? Yeah, I mean, I think we, we talk a lot about, using emotion so i think you know one one unreal i mean we're all human beings so you put i don't care who you are i don't care how much experience you got i mean if, if you if you have an, a big at bat in front of fifty thousand people and there's really something on the line or you're trying to sink a three-foot putt to win the masters i don't care who you are you're going to be nervous like there's no way that you can think your way out of that that nervousness or that fear of failure 
And so instead of trying to, you know, instead of trying to get away from that, I talk to guys about embracing it and using it to fuel your focus. So for me, and it's the, the hardest, one of the hardest things about coaching is I remember feeling certain things and, and doing certain things and, but, and being able to communicate those to the guys in a way that they can understand it and use it. That's a real challenge. But one of the things that I used to do is I, everybody feels butterf butterflies in the pit of their stomach. And I would imagine that that was like this nervous energy. And I would, I would actually funnel it up through my chest cavity, up, up into my neck and out through my eyeballs. It, it almost like a, you know, it sounds goofy or whatever, but almost like, you know, the death ray coming out of your eyes. And so I would, I would use the nervousness to fuel my focus. And, I, and my eyes are so important because that's what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to hit. Like I would take that nervousness and, and use it to fuel my focus on the, on the task at hand instead of like trying to, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to feel nervous. I don't want to feel afraid. No, we're all going to feel that way. Mm -hmm. So it's a matter of how, how do you compete through those feelings? Mm -hmm. um, and as a joke, I, I always tell guys, you know, I've, I've worked with a lot of minor league hitters and I'm like, look, guys, if you can't hit in the fetal position, then you can't play in the big leagues. Cause I mean, meaning like, I, I can't tell you how many at bats I've been, Oh gosh, make it go away. You know, you're terrified. You're scared to death. You want to be in that fetal position, but Hey, you got to be able to compete despite those feelings of fear. And, you know, this, despite the, the nervousness and, and so figuring out a way to use that in a positive, you know, take taking a negative emotion or negative feeling and, and having some way that you can, you know, feel your focus with it. I mean, I, I not everybody's going to relate to that, but another thing I've told guys is I used to visualize, you know, that same feeling is like a, a piece of paper and I would wad it up with, and then as I breathed out, I was like breathing out a piece of paper, you know, that wadded up ball of paper that was just all the negative emotion and everything would you know get it out of there and so that was another technique that I could that I would go to from time to time and we talk about this you know with our players obviously and not you know maybe not all together every day but I'll certainly go one off pull the guy aside hey look try this what do you think about that and sort of the art of coaching so you know Lance what we're basically talking about here is using fear as fuel right and here's a guy who's Got a lifetime 293 batting average, hit 366 home runs, 1,200 RBIs. And you're telling me that you had fear when you were going to compete sometimes as good as you were as a six-time All-Star? Every at-bat. I mean, every, every at-bat in the on-deck circle. I used to, you know, I, I, always get, I would always get on a knee in the on-deck circle after I, you know, after I took my warm-up swings. And, you know, I, I always joke around like that's as close to the fetal position as you can get without actually getting into one is when you get down on a knee like that. So uh, no joke, like every I can't remember a single at bat of my whole career that I didn't feel nerves, you know, before I went up there. Yeah. So so, you know, it's, it's interesting that as I as I work in mental performance, right, and you're around a guy of your ability or Matt Carpenter's ability or George St. Pierre's ability and these guys, you know, that are the best in the world, the, the, the Corbin Burns, the Jake Arrieta's, the Cy Young Award winners, right? They all have an element of fear that they use to channel in another direction. And when you, we talk about competing with confidence, Lance, talk about confidence. Where did that come from for you? Well, I think it. And by the way, I'm, you, what you say about confidence is my favorite thing that I've ever heard anybody say. Confidence is, is not something you feel. It's something that you do, which I've never heard it put like that before. But I, I just absolutely love that because it's true. Like, you know, we all, we all as coaches have fake it till you make it or, you know, the body language, all that stuff plays into it. Um, and for me, you know, confidence is one of those things. If you could, if you could bottle it up and give it to guys, you, you, you know, you'd be a gazillionaire uh, because it's difficult to have it without, without having success. Like it's, it's really tough when you're, you know, one for your first 20 or two for 21, which I think that's how I started my big league career. You know, it's, it's really difficult to have confidence when you haven't had any success. And so the reason I like what you say about it so much is because I think you can trick yourself into at least getting into a state where confidence is a possibility. And so, you know, the, the more that you act confident, the more that you, um, you know, visualize past successes, times that you have been, you know, because in, in baseball, you can, it, it's peaks and valleys. So it's pretty, you've played enough baseball. Most of my guys have played enough baseball, even back through little league. It's like, even if you have to go back to little league, 
think about a time when you got it done, like when you were in a big spot and you got it done and start to draw on that. And I think, you know, your teammates can help you. Like there's, there are, uh, there are ways that you can, you know, kind of start to spark that confidence. Uh, but it all plays into th- something that you do and not necessarily an emotion. Cause the, mm-hmm. you know, the, if you're, if you're dependent upon confidence, as we know it emotionally, you're going to be disappointed a lot of the time uh, and your performance is going to be really uneven. But if you can, you know, figure out a way to do confidence, then I think you, you have a much better shot at, at success. Yeah. Well said, Lance. I mean, it's, it's awesome to hear you articulate that, right? Because that's, that's what working with you and your program, that's what we try to teach is that confidence is something you do. It's not something that you feel like you're not always going to feel confident. And I think a big mistake that I see amateur athletes do or, or commit is they think that confidence is a feeling and they have to feel a certain way in order for them to maybe get a certain result. When the reality is you can't control how you feel. You can only control how you act. And if you act a certain way, proven by Amy Cuddy, social psychologist at Harvard in her book, Presence, TED Talk, The Science and Power of Body Language, seen by over 60 million people, she says, if if you fake it till you make it, it's really fake it till you become it. And by you carrying yourself with big body language and with confidence, it actually helps to put you into that more confident physiological state. So for people on this call... Just think about the way that you carry yourself. Do you walk around with a sense of urgency? Do you walk around with a sense of purpose? Do you carry yourself with a big body language? Not in an intimidating way, but just in a way that's like, no, I'm confident. I deserve to be in this moment right now. Let's let's go get after this thing, right? So how important, Lance, is like, you know, the, the practicing of body language with, for your hitters, whether it's practicing walking from the dugout to home plate or for pitchers practicing a shadow bullpen where they're actually practicing body language and getting into that confident state. Yeah. If you, if you never practice it, then you can't expect for it to just magically show up when you need it. And you know, we, I, I, we talk to our guys all the time about, you can't just show up and be great. I mean, you have to put in the work and similarly, like any skill that you're, that you're wanting to get better at, you have to practice. And these, you know, like you've said many times, these things are skills. I mean, they're, these are the tools that you put in your mental toolbox. And so you have to practice them in order to, to get better at them. And so, you know, practice what, what you hope in, in baseball is you practice something until it just becomes second nature. And that's, and that's why you rep it, rep it, rep it, just because you want it to happen automatically the game happens fast and so just like this body practicing good body language you know practicing these things um you want it to become second nature so that you don't have to think about it it's just what you do and then it has a huge carryover so and i would say like to the you know to the coaches that are on this call like your the, your, the way you carry yourself and your body language has a huge impact on your players i mean they're looking to you uh even if they don't they they, they may not even be able to articulate it but but the way you are, your demeanor and body language uh, will, will have a huge impact on the, the atmosphere that surrounds your team. And I'm having to, I mean, we're off to a, a bad start right now. And so I'm really having to remind myself of that. You know, my tendency would be to get angry and frustrated and, and everybody's frustrated. So I've got to find a way as the leader to lead us out of that and, and have better body language, have a better demeanor. You know, they're going to follow you. And so, you know, I think it's very important as a coach, as a leader of any organization, it starts at the top. So if you want your guys to do it, then you got to practice it too. I love that. And if we're starting at the top, you know, the top of, of all fundraising and scholastic sports is with fundraising university. And they, they offer a variety of fundraising efforts to help teams and students run profitable, effective, and fast paced fundraisers designed to raise the most amount of money in the shortest amount of time to help coaches reach their fundraising goals. So if you're interested in running a fundraiser with fundraising university, especially in the areas of Chicago, central Arkansas, South Florida, please contact Zach Sorensen to learn how to get started. And we're going to post Zach's email address here inside of our chat. Lance, coming back to that importance of modeling what you want as a head coach within your culture. Today, we're talking about consistency, confidence, and culture. And one of the things that you've established, I shouldn't say things, one of the processes you've established at Houston Christian is this concept of, of wars and your core principles of wars. I'm going to share your MVP process real quick here, if I may, just so that the coaches that are on this call that you know have been with us now in our group coaching have seen 
what the MVP process is. We did an MVP process seminar on our first group coaching call. And this is the one that Lance, you use with, with Houston Christian and the Huskies. So could you kind of take us through the first, let's start with the core principles of wars, work, aggression, responsibility, and service. Why, why were those important for you to establish in your program? Well, we were trying to come up with something that, you know, would be simple, easy to remember. And, you know, I didn't want to have submate words. I mean, I was really wanting three, but four is, is what it turned out to be that to work the best. And, you know, I tried to just think, all right, without being redundant, what are, what are some words that I would love for our guys to, or what would I like our program to be defined by? And so, you know, we came up with wars and the, and the W's is work because nothing, you know, it, that's, that's kind of the, the basis. I mean, that's where it starts. Like you can't do anything great without working at it. And, you know, you've got to be willing to pay the price. I remember my dad telling me that from a very young age, you know, hit till your hands bleed the whole thing. Like you've got to be willing to work at whatever you're, whatever you want to be great at. And, uh, and so uh, we knew that that was going to be kind of a foundational deal. We want guys that come to work every day and, and that work hard and, and the, we came up with the leave nothing to chance because it's, you know, hope is a bad strategy, as we all know, like you got to work, you got to put in the practice, you got to put in the effort in order to be prepared so that you're, you know, you're ready for the competition. So that's where the W came from. Uh, the, the A is aggression. And my wife was like, you know, I, I don't know if you want to, you know, she, she had a little bit of a, uh, distasteful, you know, she, she didn't, she didn't like it because she thought it might be a little bit harsh, but I was like, honey, look, these guys, we're, we're playing baseball, you know, we're not, we're not trying to, you know, sing kumbaya, like we're trying to beat the other team, and, and I know that um, if you're not aggressive, then you got no shot, you've got to beat them to the punch, that was uh, one of Bill Walsh's deals, old 49ers head coach, that was his mantra, is beat them to the punch, and in other words, you know, be the aggressor, take the action to the other team, and, and inherent in that is, um, you got to know what, what, what to do. I mean, that's part of being aggressive is know what to do, because if you're, if you're confused on the field, if you're not sure where you're supposed to be, uh, if you don't have a clear mind, you can't be aggressive. So, uh, there it's more than just like, Hey, we're going to be the Tasmanian devil out there. It's, it's, it has a component of understanding what's going on in the game, what you should do and, and, and being ready to act and being ready to take advantage of the other team's mistakes. So, you know, that being aggressive is a big part of it. And, and, I, and in some ways it helps guys. I tell my guys, I don't care if you make mistakes as long as they're aggressive mistakes. So if you're going to make a bad throw, I want you to throw it in the parking lot. I don't want you to, you know, give it the old, uh, you know, where you're easing it over there. I want, I want to see that sucker humming across there, you know? And so um, I think that gives them some freedom too. you know, to say, Hey, we don't expect you to be perfect, but I do expect you to be aggressive. Mm. Uh, I, I want to say that again. I, we don't expect you to be perfect. We do expect you to be aggressive. Coaches, that fits with almost every sport. I don't expect you to be perfect. I expect you to be aggressive. And if you're coaching golf, you might call it, I expect you to be committed, right? That's aggressive for, for golf. So Lance, yeah. you're talking about responsibility. Unpack that one for us. I love the, I love your definition of aggressive. Yeah. So, so responsibility was one that has kind of a, it's, it's sort of a double meaning and, uh, responsibility is obviously like, what's my job? What, what am I supposed to be doing right now? And owning whatever the outcome is and, and not making excuses for it. So when, when we were originally talking about this, I, I had in, in my mind this sort of this circle where, you know, you work hard, you go out, you play aggressive, and then whatever the result is, you take responsibility for it and you go back to work and fix whatever needs fixing. So you kind of have this cyclical approach um, and, and of course with working with you, Brian, you know, the service element came in, which is, I think is vitally important. And we'll talk about it in a second, but the responsibility, the, is just about, you know, doing, being, being able to be counted on to do what you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it. And that goes for things that happen on the field, things that happen off the field, things like being on time, going to class, taking care of your business. You know, I, I tell our, our guys, if you do what you're, if you do what you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it, you get to do what you want to do when you want to do it. And so, you know, just taking control of your schedule and and you know being responsible. But the the, the second part of it is responsibility. In other words, how what is your ability to respond to the inevitable challenges that happen during the course of the season or in life? You know, what what kind of ability do you have to respond? So we have responsibility which is, you know, doing what you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it. 
and we have response ability, which is, hey, how do you respond to adversity? Are you going to, you know, lay there and grovel and make excuses and whine and complain? Are you going to go back to work? So uh, that's kind of how we use it as as sort of a double meaning. And and that was, that's what I want for my guys. So uh, the last, the S is service. And, you know, any great organization is, is found, the foundational principle is humility. And the, the way that humility is most often shown is through service, through a willingness to, uh, to serve other people. Um, you know, my, I have a, a mentor of mine who, one of his favorite sayings, he's, he owns or is actually, I don't know if, I, wouldn't, I don't know if he owns it or if he is the, the, he's the head honcho, whether he has ownership piece or not. And his mantra is everyone makes the coffee. Meaning like nobody's above doing, you know, what would might be considered a menial task. And so we, that, that's what I want to see from our guys. We, our coaches are committed to that. We're not, a, we're not a team with that. Oh, Hey, you go do this. You go do that. I mean, we all clean the toilets. We got to clean our own bathroom. So I'll get in there and do it, or I'll be painting or I'll be doing, you know, try to show them that even though I'm the head coach, I'm willing to serve you guys. And, and if you see this, you can understand that I expect you to serve one another. So I think, I think an organization that is undergirded with humility and that, that comes out in a willingness to serve others is a really strong organization. So we wanted that to be a big part of what we were building. You know, Lance, I know service is something that's not just a part of the program at Houston Christian, but it's something that you've been actively involved in in your entire life. And, and in For- Forbes magazine in 2012, recognized you on their list of the 30 most generous celebrities and some of the things that, that you have done to give back to the communities that you have played in. Why has charitable contribution, giving back service, why has that been such an important part of your life? Well, for the biggest reason is because I'm a Christian and, you know, I feel like that everything I have has been given to me by God, you know, every, every talent and ability, the, you know, every opportunity. Um, And so I I feel like as a Christian, it's our obligation, our duty, but it's also our great joy to be able to be generous and give back. I think that's part of, um, you know, if you know anything about the Bible and you know about Jesus and one of the famous stories is about Jesus washing his disciples feet. So if, if the guy that we are, um, that we are following and, you know, and saying he's our master and King, if he's willing to do that, then we have to be willing to do that also. And so um, that, that's kind of the, the main motivating factor for me as, as a Christian is just to, Hey, I mean, wherever I can help where however I can give back, uh, that's what I want to be about. Love it, man. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And I want to come back to, I want to come back to the MVP process here. Cause I know that's something that, that we've talked about. And then I want to get into your hitting plan and then take, take questions. So, uh, for the coaches on the call, Lance went through their core principles, work, aggression, responsibility, and service. And he also gave you the definitions, leave nothing to chance, beat them to the punch. If it is to be, it's up to me. And who can I serve today? You look at their vision, right? Their vision is to win wars today. Lance, would you talk about the importance of, of why you have win wars today is this first step of your vision? Well, it goes back to the process. And, you know, if you, how do you climb Mount Everest one step at a time? So the smallest step that we can take in our, you know, in, in this MVP process is, hey, when I wake up, what's the first, what's, what's the first victory of the day? You know, whether some people you know, the, the whole make your bed thing is, is, a, is a real thing. And, and I think there's a lot of positives surrounding that, but whatever it is, like we want, we want these guys to win those quote unquote wars on a daily basis. We want them to go to work. We want them to be aggressive. We want them to act responsibly and to, and to ask themselves when they wake up, who can I serve today? And if they, if they focus on those, on the, on the, on that smallest building block, it's a step in the process. So you know, you talk a lot about don't focus on the results, focus on the process. That is the process. When, when I can win the wars every day and the, you know, every second turns into a minute, turns into an hour, turns into a day, turns into a month, turns into a year and and then a career. I mean, so that's, that's how you do it is one step at a time. And that's the step. Mm, Love that. And when you're talking about one step at a time, right. The win the wars today is literally for your program. And if you're a high school coach, you come up with what your core principles are, right? For, for Peter Savage at Reno high school in Nevada, it's Huskies. So they want to, they want to be the Huskies, you know, Huskies today, live, live the Husky way today. So wars, you're saying, if you can, if you today can work, be aggressive, be responsible and serve somebody that's going to help you to win the day. And then when we get into competition, it's win the pitch. 
win the weekend series, win the conference, win 40 games, regional, super regional, Omaha, national title, prepare people for success in pro baseball, graduate from HCU, and then your mission of become your physical, mental, spiritual best self. Lance, talk about for a, a mission statement for a program and how do you as the leader use this mission statement for yourself and for your program? And then why is it so important to have a mission? Well, you got to know where you're going um, if you're going to lead somebody to get there. So, you know, the, part of leadership is, hey, seeing where, where we are right now and seeing where we want to go and figuring out how I'm going to get from A to B. So if you don't know where B is or what B is, you're going to have a hard time leading anybody anywhere. So I think a mission statement is is critical because it gives you it gives you direction. And then look, I mean, you know, it's one of those deals where it's not like uh, every second of every day that we're you know, this is what we're focusing on or talking about. It's, it is, it's there, it's an organic process. It's not as rigid as, Hey, A, B, C, D, E. I mean, there's, there's a lot of nuance to it. Um, but, but I think the, the biggest reason to have a mission statement is so you can have something to go back to like, you know, okay. Right. As an example, right now, we, we've lost our first seven games of the season, a couple of them heartbreaking, extra inning fashion. Doesn't seem like anything's going right. You know, the tendency is to get bogged down into the swamp of despondency, so to speak. But I can look at that mission statement and say, OK, this is what we're about. Like we're you know, yes, we want to win baseball games, but our ultimate goal is to develop these young men, you know, physically and spiritually and mentally to the best of our ability. This is part of that process. So it, it just helps keep perspective. So I think a, a mission statement does two things. One, you know, it gives you direction. Hey, where are we going? And, and the second thing is it gives you perspective. Like, you know, what, what are we all about? Like, what are we really working towards? Yeah. And one of the things that fundraising university is working towards is trying to grow their team. And they're always looking for individuals throughout the country who are competitive, empathetic, organized, self-starters and teachers, their core principles for fundraising university, again, competitive, empathetic, organized, self-starters and teachable. They're looking for those people to partner with. So if you're a coach, you're an athlete, you're a business-minded individual, and you love to work with coaches and athletes all while owning your own business, please contact Zach Sorensen and we'll post his email address here in the chat. If you're interested in learning more about joining the team at fundraising university, uh, Lance, I want to take one more piece of mental game content to have you talk about, and then I want to open it up for Q&A with all of our group coaches here. I've worked in college baseball for since, let's say, I got done playing in 2001 at Vermont, and a week after I got done playing, I was a volunteer coach in the Cape Cod League with the Katua Ketelier. So since 2001, so 22 years. And I've always heard coaches talk about you got to have a plan and approach at the plate. And it wasn't until I got with you at HCU this year where – you actually said, oh, here, here, here's our approaches. And you showed the, the, the possible approaches that you teach, right? And this is going to get pretty baseball specific, but I know we have a lot of baseball coaches here. So I want to make sure that we give them something of value. And it's something that I've never heard really built out at this level, right? You talked about the three B's earlier, breathe ball and back through the middle. And anybody on this call can use that specifically for three keys to keep it simple with whatever you're doing, right? If so if you're in sales, it's be present, listen, ask for the close, right? But when you talk about a hitting approach, take us through these possible hitting approaches because in 21 years of coaching the mental game of baseball, I've never seen it put this clearly. Well, the, the genesis behind this is, is kind of what you're talking about. Like you always hear about people talking about, well, have an approach or have an idea. And as a hitter, I'm like, all right, well, yeah, I mean, that's something that coaches always yell, but what does that mean specifically? And so I just sat down and I was like, all right, I thought back through my career and thought about everything that I used to think about, um, you know, as a hitter, depending on what the situation was, uh, every approach I could think about. And the way I hit most of my career was what I call middle, middle or normal, which is fastball timing. And I, I'm, I'm looking for a fastball to hit right back up the middle. And, you know, like anything soft, I'm just adjusting to it. Uh, this is, I use this, like I said, most of the time especially if you didn't have a whole lot of information on guys, which nowadays it's, that's really difficult to not have information. There's so much available, but uh, you know, back when I was first started playing at the big league level, I mean, you know, you just kind of got a little, here's how hard he throws, here's his out pitch, go get him. And so, um, you know, that's kind of, and really that's all I, that's all I want anyway, but <laughs> that's another story, but yeah, it's a middle, middle, just, Hey, looking for a ball right down the middle, hitting a line drive right back up the middle fastball timing. Then there's time when it's like, okay, 
okay, I have a decent idea that this guy is, is I've seen him throw a lot off speed or I faced him in the past and he got me out with a curveball, whatever it is. So you can sit soft and you're sold out for off speed until you get to two strikes and you're looking to do damage gap to gap. The important thing here is you got to get a strike to hit because a lot of times when kids, especially uh, if I'm going up there to, to I'm sitting slider, I'm sitting off speed. Well, if the guy throws it, and it, it, it bounces 10 feet in front of home plate, they swing at it because that, oh, that's what I was sitting on. So you still got to, you got to get a strike. And it's, it's, the key here is to slow yourself down, you know, and, and I, I envision this almost like playing softball. You know, that was kind of my deal when I, when I was sitting soft, uh, I just, you know, I, I pretended in my mind like I was playing slow pitch softball. Um, away is committed to hitting the ball the opposite field. And I don't mean like I want to hit it over there. I mean, I'm going to hit it over there. Um, and looking for a pitch in the middle of the outside to, and, and you could do it on a pitch in too. Derek Jeter made a living out of taking the ball on the inside corner and shooting it to right field. Um, but you have to be, I mean, committed to hitting it the other way. Like I'm not pulling the ball period. And I would use this, like we face Jamie Moyer, you know, a guy that just never comes in really. I, I'm it's mainly against lefties that just dump balls on the outside corner and, and throw a lot of off speed stuff. Uh, you can also use it. I remember I had an at bat in, the, in that same World Series where we had runners on second and third and nobody out. And uh, I was up and I remember thinking I am going to hit a ground ball to the second baseman because there was score run. And then it would move the guy on second base over to third uh, for the next hitter to, to try to get him in with less than two outs. And I mean, I was as committed to that as I've ever been to a at bat in my life. And I hit a ground ball right down the first baseline for a, a two RBI single. Um, but just that was... That, that's one of those things where the game rewards you if you're thinking correctly. But the, the key to the away approach is you have to be committed to it, not just thinking, oh, that's kind of where I want to hit it. You're going to hit it over there. And then the opposite of that would be the end or the pull. Uh, you're trying to get the head out. Um, swing thought for me was a hard ground ball to first when I was hitting left-handed or hard ground ball to third when I was hitting right-handed. Uh, and the reason for that is because I want to get the barrel out in front of my body. And as you high school coaches know, or any other coaches that are on here that coach baseball, the tendency is for kids to lose their barrel. They don't know how to pull the ball correctly. They pull it with top spin if they pull it at all, uh, and they jerk it foul. So the, the thought of try to hit a hard ground ball, the first or third will keep their barrel above their hands longer, and it will help them get the bat head out in front of them. The other thing I would think about when I was sitting in was I wouldn't let my weight move forward at all. Like all my weight was on my back leg. And I'm trying to hit a hard ground ball to, to first or third, depending on the handedness. Um, hard thrower. I always tell guys, like, you got to have a strategy for a guy that throws hard. And uh, for our kids, it's anybody that's probably 93 or four and above. You know, when you get to the big leagues, it's 95 to 100. Like, you got to have a strategy for a guy that, that throws that hard. Um, I always tell guys, you put them in a count. Like, 1-0 is a great hitting count. 2-1 is a great hitting count. 2-0, certainly. Um, and you just, you know, you cheat the head, you cheat the bat to get the fastball. Um, again, holding your weight back. I think about hitting straight down on top of the ball when it's a hard throw, try to keep my hands loose. And you see, I've got on there like quick, not hard. The, one of the tendencies that hitters have is when the pitcher's throwing harder, they swing harder. Uh, that's not the right thought. The right thought is quick. I'm going to see how quick I can get my barrel to the ball, not how hard can I swing. Uh, two strikes, fighting for contact without sacrificing bat speed. I believe in choking up and spreading out, um, you know, it's get the head closer to the strike zone. Uh, I'm, I'm a big believer in, uh, in changing your approach somewhat with two strikes. I mean, there's a lot of thought out there that, oh, you shouldn't change at all. And, you know, if you're making several hundred million dollars at the big league level, that's great. You can do whatever you want. But, I mean, for my team or for, you know, most of you guys that are coaching amateur hitters, I make them do something different, at least just to acknowledge I got two strikes, I'm fighting for contact. Um, and then this, this one, you have to kind of be a little bit, uh, you, you have, this is where your mechanics, good mechanics sort of enable you to be able to execute some of these approaches. So this sitting in between, um, I, I'm, I, the, another way to say it is I'm giving up pulling the fastball. This is a great approach for runners in scoring position, um, you know, man on third lesson to, to the, where there's a high probability that you're going to see something off speed. Uh, but you have to have a flat path to be able to do it because you have to be able to be beat by the fastball a little bit and still be able to produce a line drive the other way. Um, and so I would 
kind of put it in my mind. I'm sort of looking for off speed, but I'm still not giving up on the fastball entirely. I'm just giving up on pulling the fastball. So if they throw me a fastball and I'm hitting left-handed, my swing thought is line drive over the shortstop. Um, and then if it, then you're kind of on time for anything. And Or if a breaking ball pops up out of the guy's hand or he throws you a changeup, you're not surprised by it because you're kind of halfway looking for it. So that's what that approach is. Beautiful. Well, I know that was very baseball technical. I know we got a lot of good, got a quality baseball coaches on here. So I thought that might be something that, that they're into. So I uh, want to go into questions from our membership here at Lance this evening. And one of the questions comes in from Jason. He says, how do you help a player who is struggling or in a slump or what's your message to your team when the wheels are kind of falling off after a bad inning? Well, I think it's one, it goes, you know, it's one pitch at a time basically, but, but I use an analogy with guys like, uh, you know, I'm kind of a redneck. So, so if you go to, if you go to build a fire uh, and you just grab a bunch of great big old logs and you pile them up and you throw a match on it, is it likely to catch? And of course, you know, most people know that, no, it's not going to, cause it's, it's too big. So how do you start a fire? You start with like just little bitty twigs, little, you know, piece of fuzz or whatever, and you get that going. And then you start adding bigger and bigger sticks or logs to it. And before you know it, you got a, a blaze going. So, um, that's how you get out of a slump. It's literally start the smallest unit of a baseball game is one pitch. So I, when I was hitting, I would tell myself this pitch right here is the only thing in the universe that matters. And, and that's it. Like I'm all my concentration, everything, no matter nothing happened before, nothing happens after it's this pitch right here. That's starting small. That's like using that kindling to get the fire going. And if you do that consistently enough, um, then you, you know, like you start to see the ball better and then you sort of your natural ability comes back and takes over and that's how you get out of a slump. Another thing I used to do with myself is I'd play the, and of course, when you're, when you're playing pro ball, it's easier because you're playing every single night. It's a little bit tougher when you're in high school and you're not playing as much or college, but I would tell, I would play the old one positive thing a night game. So a walk without a strikeout was positive. Um, you know, of course a base hit, an RBI, stolen base, a hit by pitch, um, a sack fly, you know, the, just picking one thing. And if I could do one positive thing a night, then I knew I was going to have a good year. So the, the beauty of that one is you could be 0 for 3 with three punch outs headed into your last at bat, and you still have a chance to accomplish your goal. Like I still, all the way to my last at bat, have a chance to do something, one positive thing for the team, you know, tonight. And, and that keeps you engaged mentally and kind of takes some of that heat off of you. Uh, and the tendency is try to get, you know, 10 hits and three at bats that, that, you know, it just doesn't, it doesn't work, you know, and start and starting to do that math. So start small, keep the focus on incremental things. And, and that's how you get somebody or a team out of a slump. Awesome. Other questions that we've got for Lance Berkman, please feel free to post those inside of our chat. And Lance, one of the questions came in, it said, of all the stuff that you have worked on this year as a head coach in the mental game, and you're one with Brian, what's been the most impactful for you and your program? I think it's what we said about the confidence of something you do, not, not something that you feel. I mean, I, I think, you know, guys really bought into that, um, you know, seeing way better body language across the board uh, from guys. Um, and, you know, at the very least, the, I, I feel like now when you watch us play, you know, if you didn't have the sound on, you couldn't see the scoreboard, you wouldn't be able to tell if the game's going good or, or poorly by watching our guys, which is, that's a big step forward for us from last year. You know, Lance, one of the things that you did this winter, right? We did, we did the win the winter this off season with your guys and, and had them go through an optimized book of the week, right? Over the course of the winter, how do you use the optimized heroic app, the book summaries within your program to keep guys learning on the mental game throughout the year? Well, that was great because these kids, as we talked about at the very beginning, you know, their attention span is such that they're not necessarily into sitting down and reading a full book, but the optimized deal just gives it a, a beautifully concise and entertaining synopsis of what the book is about. And you can really hit the high points. Uh, and there, and the way we used it with our guys was, you know, we, we divided them up into boat crews or, you know, whatever you want to call them sled teams is what we call them. Cause we have Huskies and that's sort of in keeping with that theme. Uh, but we, we, we had each team take, one book and and break it down for us and make a presentation so it keeps them engaged it's not overwhelming to them it's not like they gotta you know sit down and read 500 pages it's 20 minutes boom 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 pulls out all the high points and then you can have a great discussion around those 
topics. And, and I think you really get, I mean, for me, we got way more out of that than if we'd had them just read one book all the way through. Yeah. I think that that's a, a key point and some feedback that I've heard from different coaches is that by going through and using the, the optimize, which is now called heroic, heroic book summaries, you can get through, you know, the book legacy in 20 minutes. You can get through George St. Pierre's book, the way of the fight in 20 minutes, Jocko, both of them, as I point up here, discipline equals freedom in 20 minutes, you know, a 20 minute audio summary or six page PDF that I think is a little bit more digestible for today's kid, because what the ultimate goal of them going through a book is not that they read the book. This isn't English or reading class. We want them to go take a strategy from the book that they're going to apply to become better at what we're doing in our sport or in our career, if it's business. So I think that that's a great resource for people that is very underutilized in college athletics or in any level of athletics or business. Uh, question, um, Lance, if you could write a letter to your younger self, what would it say? Well, one thing I would say was to enjoy the journey a little bit, you know, because uh, you know, I, I feel like I enjoy my baseball career retrospectively. I mean, like looking back on it, uh, but at the time, man, I was miserable because I was such a results oriented guy. Like I rode the roller coaster, you know, three for four, could sleep at night, oh, for four, couldn't sleep, was miserable until I got, you know, just so that that would be the the number one thing is enjoy it like it goes quick like you know I tell my wife all the time I feel like that my baseball career even though I played for 15 years I feel like it happened to somebody else you know it's just it's it just goes by in such a hurry and you don't really uh enjoy it as much as I didn't I don't feel like I enjoyed it while it was happening as much as I should or appreciate you know just the the uniqueness of that experience like I should have uh so that would be the the number one thing I would tell my younger self Interesting. How do you enjoy, I hear, how do you enjoy the battle, the grind when you're going through it instead of thinking, and when I get to the end, I can look back and enjoy it. Right. Like, how do you go about doing that? It's interesting. I, I, I hiked, um, out here in Arizona, there's a group of us that hike Camelback mountain, like once a week, when we get to the top, we sit and we talk about, you know, Hey, what's your intention right now? What are you working on for yourself to be the best version of you? And I would encourage every coach on this call, anyone listening to this, to ask yourself at least once a week, what am I working on right now to be the best version of me? What's my intention? And then what do I need to start? What do I need to stop? What do I need to continue to get better with that intention? And it was interesting. There was only about six of us up there and three of them were talking about, I got to be more present. Lance, what is it that keeps us from being present as we're going through it that makes it so difficult to be present? Well, I think human, human beings all have a tendency to either be focused on the past, you know, things that have happened to us that we can't control anymore, but that, you know, whether they're regrets or, um, you know, just bad things that have happened to us, uh, we have a tendency to hold on to those or even some good things. I mean, like you see a lot of guys who's, you know, the best, the best time of their life was when they were the high school football star and they've never been able to move on from that. So, you know, like, I think it's a fixation that human beings have with both the past and, and then with the future, like worrying about what may happen or what, you know, it, it's, there's anxiety over what does life look like as I, as I go on. And, and so um, I know that that for me, uh, I, I vacillated between those two extremes as a baseball player. Cause I would, you know, if I was over four, man, I would stew on that and stew on that. And then, then that would cause me to think, especially early in my career, like, what does that mean for my future? Am I going to get sent down? Am I going to, you know, where, where am I going to be a year from now? Am I going to make it? You know, all of these things. And it's just like, you know, you go back and forth thinking about the past, future, past, future. And then you just, you know, you never think about right now. Like, what am I doing? How am I enjoying life? Like, what am I, um, you know, how am I treating my wife? How am I being a father to my kids? You know, am I so distracted that I'm not able to be there for them? So those are things that, you know, especially as men, I think we, we, we fight. Yeah. And, you know, Lance, we, we, we talk a lot here in our, in our mental performance community of anxiety often comes from an obsession about the future that you can't control. Depression comes from an obsession about the past. You can no longer do anything about optimal performance comes from being obsessed with what I'm doing right here, right now in this moment, it's just really difficult to be where your feet are. And I think we, if that's one thing that any of us can do coming off of this call is how can I work to be more intentional about being where my feet are and being right here, right now? 
So uh, Lance, last question for you. I appreciate you being here. Thanks for all of our coaches for being here. I'm going to ask the question, give you a minute to think about it, and then let our coaches know uh, some kind of closing remarks before you let you wrap it up. Here's the last question for you, Lance. If you could remove the skull cap of all the coaches listening to this, you've been a World Series champion. You've been a Major League Baseball comeback player of the year, a six-time All-Star. You've been a high school coach, a D3 coach, a, a D1 coach. What is it that that you, if you could plant one seed of success inside of all the brains of the people on this call that they would take with them and it would germinate, what would that one seed of success be? If you think about that answer for all of our coaches here, I just want to let you know the easiest thing to do as a part of this group coaching program to find out when our next call is, log into your dashboard. You can see when the next call is. You can see what the Zoom ID is. Just so you know, upcoming here, we've got a call tomorrow at uh, six o'clock Eastern time. It's a 25 minute call where we get on, we talk about what we learned from Lance here. We break down a heroic book of the week and, and there's a mental performance topic. Same thing on Wednesday, March 8th, six o'clock Eastern time. And then when we get to uh, Monday, March 13th, we've got Chad Morris. He's a former high school football coach, Hall of Fame high school football coach in Texas. He's also been the offensive coordinator at Clemson, the head coach at SMU, and the head coach at Arkansas. We've got a 25-minute call on March 14th, 25-minute call on March 21st. And then we've got Jeff Jones, uh, who is the head football strength and conditioning coach at Arkansas State on Monday, the 27th. Jeff Jones is going to talk about how to implement a mental performance program with your program as a coach. He's the football strength coach and he runs their mental performance program. Uh, those are going to be two calls, just like tonight's call with Lance. Our one hour calls are going to be tremendous for you to check out. Chad Morris, Jeff Jones, you can find them all on your dashboard. Lance, you can remove the skull cap of everybody, everyone who's here with us tonight and plant one seed. What would that one thought be? I think it's just to, to make sure that you keep what you're doing in perspective. I mean, we, you know, we have a tendency to wins and losses or player development or whatever it is. The, the most important thing is the relationships that we have with the people that we're coaching. I'm, I'm speaking from a coach's perspective, but I could also speak from a, you know, if you're a CEO, if you're in the business world, you know, it's not about how much money you make. It's about how many people did I impact? And, and I think um, if we can keep that perspective that it's really truly about relationships, because that, now, there are very few things that have lasting value. I mean, nobody, I, there's probably nobody on this call uh, before you recited all my statistics that would know or care what my career looked like at the big league level. Um, that's not lasting. But what does last is the impact that you have on, on people. And, you know, one thing that I, that I love about you, Brian, is that, you know, you, you have a heart to, to help people and, and, and want to see them be successful. And I think great coaches have that heart. Uh, so, you know, that would be my one encouragement to myself also is to be transformational and not transactional as a coach. Mm. Well said transformational, not transactional and continue to sail the right ships, invest in relationships, create great leadership. And that hopefully leads to championships. Lance Berkman. Thank you for being with us here in the group coaching program, man. I appreciate you being here. Coaches, thanks for being here. Thanks for what you're doing for the people who call you coach. And we'll look forward to seeing you all tomorrow or next time here in our group coaching program. Lance, keep mushing, man. Thanks for being here. Right. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you.